Amen. Christmas is that time of year when we talk a lot about that word Messiah. And we sing lots of songs about different names of what it meant for God to become man and make his living among us. But today what I want us to do is I want us to actually consider a little more deeply what some of these titles of Jesus, one in particular, mean, what they meant then and what they mean for us now. And we're going to do it in the context of a song that repeats a title over and over again. It's a song we've already sung this morning. It might have been one of the very first Christmas carols you learned as a kid because it's seen as a childlike song. And it's called, if you look in your sermon notes, you should all have a bulletin with something like this in them. You're going to want to keep these. I don't have a lot of points today, so yay for that. But you're going to want to keep track of where we're headed. But in the song, Away in a Manger... It's one we've all probably heard. And if you haven't, you just did about five minutes ago. So welcome. Away in a manger, crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. Now, as you go through the song, one thing, uh, there's been arguments about the song of who wrote it and when. There's been arguments about whether it's heresy or not, because Jesus probably did cry. Well, I don't think that's the point of what the song is trying to say is to dehumanize Jesus in any way, but it's rather saying a phrase that's repeated in each verse, Lord Jesus. You see it in every verse that whoever wrote this, they want us to understand the whole truth of who Jesus is, the Lord Jesus So today we want to unpack that a little bit, because if we just take it in a surface understanding, it's much like how we understand the song coming to be. Church tradition says that Martin Luther wrote a poem to his kids about 500 years ago, and that became Away in a Manger. Now, there could be some truth to that. There could be a sliver of truth that says, yes, indeed, this is true. That would be what we would call a partial truth. Not really the whole thing, but maybe a little bit of it right? We do that in our lives all the time. I didn't read your text. I was too busy. No, I actually did read your text. I just forgot to respond, but I don't want to admit that. That's a partial truth, right? You know, see, we've just made a little detour and we've done something like that. The list goes on and on. But anyway, but if we look deeper, then we understand that it was around the 1800s and of all things, two Americans At different points and different seasons, one around the 1840s, the other around the 1880s to 90s to into the early 1900s, had written different stanzas of this. One uh, was a a Lutheran pastor that wanted his church to be able to remember the very incarnation of Jesus. And so he wrote at least two of those verses. Then uh, a bit later on, another guy by the name of Pastor George, that was his family name, came along and he added to it that third verse. And that third verse is not preaching that all will be saved, but that those that God has elected will be his forever. And it was this testimony of who God is and what he'd come to do through Jesus Christ. And so that was added into the story. And then you begin to see the whole truth of how we got the song. But interestingly, regardless of when it happened, because Martin Luther, you can see some of his writings echo this. So, okay, there's a little bit of truth there. The Lutheran pastor, you can see definitely, yeah, he at least penned one, if not two of the stanzas. And then the pastor writing uh, the verses for his kids, yes, that's there too. And you begin to see the whole picture 
of a way in a manger. Yet, whoever was involved in this, they all saw the same picture wanting to be painted. God becoming man and ruling over all things. Lord of all creation. We often sing that song, God of wonders, Lord of all creation, Lord of heaven and earth. John 1 teaches us that it is Jesus Christ who is Lord, who held creation in his hands. Yet we don't always treat him that way. So today we want to explore the lordship of Jesus Christ. What does that even mean? This word Lord has all sorts of meanings these t- this day and age. I am not at all understanding of the um, British system of monarchy, but I know there's lords and ladies. And is that what it means? Is, does it mean like a lord uh, of some county in England? Is that the same as Jesus? No, or we sing a Christmas carol that talks about lords a-leaping. As far as I know, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about Jesus leaping. He did many things, and others leapt as they left his presence because they were walking for the first time. But I don't get any pictures of Jesus doing this. I will never do that again. So you've seen it, and it's done. But then if you look at the word curios and it's typed into your notes and it means this total control, this idea of total control by a legal entity was how it was often used. The best translation was actually the German one that was used as heir, Herr Hitler, the supreme ruler. Now, I, again, does that mean that Jesus is like Hitler? No, absolutely not. So even in our basic understanding of Jesus as Lord, we've got all these from humorous to very dark and sinister understandings. So where do we go? How do we get to the centrality of the message of Jesus is Lord? We go to his word. And I want us to look first at what was said about Jesus himself. Today in the town of David... A Savior has been born. A Messiah has been born to you. And he is what? He is the Messiah and he is the Lord. He is the ruler you have been waiting for. Remember, when we read the scriptures, we have to think back to what this message would have sounded like for the audience that was getting it at that time. So first off, kind of weird for an angel to show up and proclaim this. And then angels from on high to sing praises to the Lord. Time and again, we see in the Advent message these songs. There's a great little series on Right Now Media that talks about how often in the Christmas season of as Jesus is coming to earth, that people responded in song, whether it be Zechariah, whether it be the shepherds and the angels or Mary herself. We see these songs of worship of our Lord. So we understand that there's a ruling aspect to who Jesus is. Not only that, but if you go on to the comparison, this is the Matthew version, but then if you look a little further in your Bibles, you get to Luke chapter 2, which we will read uh, in good chunk next Sunday. But we read this announcement. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news of what great joy. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to camp out too too long here. That will be for all the people. 
All who would believe on him would be saved. Jesus is for all people. Today in the town of David, again, here's this word savior, one who can save us, only a ruler can save us, has been born to you and he is, and he gets the full title, he is Christ the Lord, Adonai. He is the true ruler of our lives. The authors of God's word wanted us to understand fully and completely that there is one that can lead our lives righteously and perfectly and in the way we should go. And his name is the Lord. His name is Jesus. He is in control. He always has been in control. He always will be in control. And it's just us that think that we can grab some control for ourselves. But God's plan is still active. And he anointed and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be Lord of all, of all the heavens, of all the earth. And so we begin to get this picture And as we think about that, and as we think about away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, we understand that God became man so that we get this picture of a very real human that is also fully God. He knows who we are. One of the great things about a true ruler is someone that understands their people. Uh, regardless of your politics in different parts of the world, especially in these days we've lived in, we seem to have become a society across the world that is polarized. You know what that means? It means we're divided by whatever we feel is right. But we're divided by small things. And we've lost sight of the greatness of what is truth and what is light and where hope is found. Remember last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is the source of our hope. He is not a reason for our hope. He is our hope. He is the truth. He is the light. He is the life that we live for all eternity. It is found in Jesus Christ. And now we add, he is the Lord. He is the one that is fully qualified to lead us forever. You have been so gracious to me as you've reacted to the news that we are moving to America. And I've heard, oh, Mike, we're thankful for you and you've, you've used such kind words about me. But at the end of the day, AIC is not about Mike. AIC is not about my family and us being part of your family. We are about Jesus Christ. And AIC will be just fine if they keep him as Lord of all things. It ain't about us. It is about the greatness of Jesus Christ. He is our ruler. My job has been, along with Pastor Stan and and Doug and Melissa and Twinkie and Dory and our elders and our under-shepherds and our governing committee and all of us, our job is to keep looking toward Jesus and inviting others with us as we grow to become more like him. For the past three weeks, I've led the baptismal class. And I have loved it because I get to know those that I'll be baptizing. And I'm not always able to lead those classes, but we've had a great time. And throughout the process, when I asked them this morning, I interviewed them this morning, it was really serious. And and I said, so why do you want to get baptized? And uh, most of them answered because they've been well-trained and well-coached by us. I want the world to know I follow Jesus. And that's the right answer. I said, but what if we took that a step further? What if we don't just want the world to know that we follow Jesus, but hey, come with us. Come with us. You see, when Christ is Lord of our lives, 
our lives will change. And we want others to know the kind of life that he has given us. If you don't want others in on your Jesus, your Jesus is too small. If you don't want other people to join you in following Jesus, then your view of God is too small. And you have what uh, I call a partially surrendered life. And let me see if I can explain what that means. I got the phrase from another pastor, but I liked it so much. I'm going with it. Jesus asked the question in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So again, this idea of Jesus the Lord means that he is the one that can tell us what to do, and we should do it. Now, I know that's not always very popular. We like to do things our way, right? Yeah, we do. And we want things to go a certain way. And we like the image that we do have control. And absolutely, God has given us free will. Please don't mistake that. He lets us make choices. And he lets us live with the consequences of those choices. Sometimes we wish he would not do that part. But in the midst of that, he also gave us Jesus Christ, a savior to redeem us from our sin that defined us and to become defined then by the righteousness of God that we now wear through Jesus Christ. But we say, yeah, I want that. I used to, when I was a youth pastor, I used to call that fire insurance. I want to make sure I go to heaven, but then I'm going to keep living my way. That's a picture of the partially surrendered life. But Mike, I still don't get it. Well, let me see if I can help you. You ever heard the verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I believe that most Christians, if they've, as they follow Jesus Christ, have memorized those verses. Notice what it starts with. Trust in the... Let's try that again. Trust in the... Right. So we know that to be true. But is you hear us say often, anywhere you go, knowledge and action are two different things. So if we went around and surveyed the world around us, this is what I think they would see the church communicating about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. See if you agree. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding. And in some of your ways, acknowledge him so you can make your own path straight. If I were to ask you to look inwardly really hard, which is a more accurate presentation of your life with Jesus Christ? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight or this. I confess there's an awful lot of time where I go and I try to fix things and I try to do things my way and then I feel like uh, as I was reminded of last night that scene in Evan Almighty where God talks to Evan uh, who he's He's given Evan a very specific task to reveal what's going on in the world. And Evan demands to do it his way first. And God just sort of laughs and says, I love it when humans try to do that. Because it's as if he lets us try to do it our own way and then reminds us as he does in Hosea, in Malachi, in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in just throughout God's word, come on back. Remember, my ways are right. But if we look at our own lives... Doesn't it seem to sometimes say more of this? I'm going to trust 
in the Lord with some of my heart. There is a great book written. I think it's really quite old. It's called My Heart Christ's Home. Has anyone ever heard of that? A few of you have. And it talks about if you invited, and I, I wrongly ascribed it to Charles Hummel yesterday. He didn't write it. Another guy did. Um, but in this little booklet, it talks about the story of if we invited Jesus into our home and we had different rooms. We had a library. We had a kitchen. We had a living room, a dining room, a bedroom. Big house, by the way. You know, not, not a Hong Kong flat. There's more space. And so imagine it as if uh, a Westerner is writing it. But he goes on and he begins to, to pull out that, okay, Jesus, you are welcome to come sit with me in my living room because that's a room for public consumption. So we're going to put my best forward. We're going to keep this room clean so that anyone could see that I, you know, trust in the Lord. But Jesus goes over to a closet and he opens up the closet. Oh, no, 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 Jesus, you don't want to look in there. Or Jesus goes up to our bedroom and he doesn't just look that we've made the bed, he looks under the bed. And we begin to say, no, 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 Jesus, uh, not over there, just, just right, right in this little area where, where it's safe. That's where I want you to be, Jesus. But I want to invite you to answer a question. Where in here does it say following Jesus is safe? Where in here does it say trusting in ourselves is the better way to go? By the way, this is not a real Bible version. This is the partially surrendered version. So please don't write that down and say, Mike says to follow that way. (laughs) Well, Pastor Mike said. Now, I was interviewing someone and helping them with their testimony for baptism last night. And it was a little kid. And um, some of our community group was is part of getting baptized. And I asked the question of, why do you want to get baptized? And the little kid answered me, and they said, because I really, I want to know more of Jesus so I can see more of his miracles. And I said, well, what do you mean by more of his miracles? You got Jesus already, right? Yeah, because I wanted to make sure they understood that getting baptized does not save you, that that's not how it works. And No, they understood that. And she answered, she said, but baptism is a way for me to show that I'm going to, obey Jesus all the time. And then she looked, or at least try. And she said, but the more of Jesus I follow, the more I'm giving him the chance to do big things. I thought to myself, yeah, that's pretty much right. Can't really argue with that. From the mouths of children come great theology sometimes. A partially surrendered life says this, we're going to trust the Lord occasionally. We're going to trust the Lord when we get what we want and do things our way. But when we give lordship of our lives over to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has the power to transform us inwardly that is expressed outwardly. If you look in your message notes, you'll see you've got this section right after the partially surrendered note that compares the fruit and the flesh. The fruit is what happens when we give Jesus all of our lives and says, my life is yours. Inevitably, things will change in your life. Your life will begin to be marked by love, by joy, by peace. Now, notice these things don't say your circumstances will be that way. These are inward assurances that come out of you. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I would add the hands act. Love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are miraculous things that we cannot do on our own. We can be kind for a little while, but eventually we come back to ourselves, right? But when we say, Lord, here's my life, or the, the hymn I love to quote, take my life and let it be holy, pleasing Lord to thee, the Holy Spirit works in us in mighty ways and strips away that which is not of him. And the more we give him, actually the better life gets because we're filled with his love. We're filled with his joy, with his peace. But the flesh says, or the partially surrendered life says that I'm not going to give God all of my fear because I'm going to hang on to that because fear indicates that I'm trying to control certain things and I'm not ready to let go of that control. Or despair. God, you couldn't possibly get me through this situation. God, you don't understand. And he says, let me replace your despair with joy because I understand for eternity what you only see for a moment. Or God, I'm so anxious. I'm so worried about a great number of things. And Jesus says, when I'm Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit gives you the strength to walk in shalom, in peace that you can't even explain because it's so big. When I am Lord of your life, your life is full of purpose that allows you to take that step even if you don't know how it's going to turn out because I, Jesus Christ, your Lord, am your peace. And then he goes on, and we look, and kindness replaces lack of empathy. We've become a society that likes to see bad things happen to bad people and ignore a lot of the world around us. We find it easier and easier to not notice anybody but ourselves. And it's one of the great tragedies of what has happened with certain parts of how we live. We don't know our neighbors anymore. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, when I first moved to Hong Kong, I lived in uh, block, Tower 25, 10th floor, flat F, I think, of a certain complex in this general area. And it was there that when we first moved in, it, we would see people, they would they would be coming or going at the same time, but they would run in and close their door before they would have to talk with us. And you laugh, but I bet you you've done it. I don't want to take time to talk to my neighbor right now, right? And let me be honest with you, I'm that guy sometimes. I'm getting home, I just want to go inside. I don't want to talk to my neighbor. But we've lost that sense of togetherness. We've lost that sense of neighborhood, yet we're putting people on top of each other. You got a thousand neighbors right there, man. But we've lost that care for one another. Jesus says, I will replace that apathy with a kindness and a goodness that shows the world a different way to live and love your neighbor. And not only does Jesus say love your neighbor, he teaches you how you can do it to go the extra mile, to give the jacket off your back, to give yourself away to point people to the glory of God. Goodness replaces hypocrisy because people see in us the willingness to say, you know what? And here's a big one for the church. You know what? I'm not perfect. And I apologize for those times when I haven't measured up. But let's walk together as we seek to be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. 
and we invite people into our mess. Because what happens in the partially surrendered life, we get back to that, remember, the partially surrendered life says we got to make sure that people think everything is really great and really perfect and really good. A surrendered life to Jesus says, it is a journey and it is a process and I am going to keep growing, but there are times when I miss the boat. There are times when I get angry. There are times when I get, and we fill in the blank. And you know, one of the reasons God gave us community was for people to walk with us through those times. That's called the church. It's what the church is meant to do, to walk together. And when people see that sort of goodness and they see the faithfulness that's replaced the what's right for me with the how can we help one another, they begin to see the world as a different place. Or instead of exalting, look at what I've done today, it's this meekness and gentleness that says, look at what he's doing through other people and we're going to tell their stories. What better picture of that than do we have than 10 people getting baptized next weekend? God, you are telling my story. I get to be your paintbrush on the canvas of life. That's what it means when we begin to say, Lord, I surrender my life and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to trust you with my life rather than tell you how to put the pieces together. A partially surrendered life has to tell God how to do it. A fully surrendered life says the exact opposite. It says, God, here's my life. I'm going to trust you with every detail. I'm going to keep walking the way I feel you're leading. And if you change course, I'm going to walk with you and not insist on going my own way. Isaiah 40, I read it earlier, talks about the fully surrendered life. Verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. I want you to camp out there for a second. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. How often do we meet people that sort of, and you've seen me do the walk before, but it's... I mean, to me, that, that just reeks, and I do it from time to time, but it just reeks of me saying that this is the best I can muster. This is all the strength I have to get through the day. And we just sort of trudge through life. And Jesus gives us this promise, and you've heard me say it every week in this series, that he came to give us full lives. If you were a kid and you had that strict mom, she said, sit up straight. You know, that's kind of a picture of a Christ follower. It's that said, Jesus, you've got all of my life. My fully surrendered life allows me to walk confidently in him through life with his energy and with his strength. That is not saying I'm happy with all of my circumstances. It's saying I am confident in Jesus and he has me for such a time as this at such a place as this. And I will walk in his strength. Because when I walk in his strength, I will soar on wings like eagles. I will run and not grow weary. I will keep pursuing the Lord. And that will never make me tired. If we get tired of pursuing the Lord, we're doing it in our own strength. There is no greater pursuit in heaven and earth than of God himself. And when we pursue him, he gives us the strength to carry on. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We're told in the New Testament that we should not grow weary in doing good. Why? Because we're doing it out of a fully surrendered life. We look around at the world. When we see the world, 
and we're fully surrendered to Jesus, to the lordship of Jesus Christ, what we're seeing is the world through the eyes of God. And we're seeing people in need and suddenly we respond with compassion instead of, ah, stinks to be them. Instead of saying, well, the bad has to happen, a lot of times we have this karmic example of the world or this uh, Confucian yin and yang view of the world where the, the, the light and the dark, they have to even out. No, the light speaks into the darkness and shines light into the darkness that all may see. There is no darkness raising up, so there's a balance. It's not how it goes. Jesus is the light of the whole world. It's an inclusive statement. He is ruler. He is Lord over all. The fully surrendered life is just merely an acceptance of who Jesus already is. And saying, yeah, that's the best way to live, to trust the guy that made everything and that loves me so much that he would give himself, himself as a ransom for a person like me. So then when we get back to Proverbs chapter 3, we see a different understanding of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. The word there in, that would have been used really meant with all of your very being, trust in the Lord. Every ounce of energy you have, give it to Him. Trust in Him. There was confidence in Him. And lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust in your own ways to do things. Remember, this is Solomon argued to be the wisest man to ever live. And yet, he had to learn the hard way that the best understanding in the world is not his own, it is the Lord's. But we don't stop there. We're called to go further. That in all our ways, again, we we find this word often in Scripture and we don't always like it because we like to be independent and we like our rights. In all your ways, submits. Paul writes about a marriage and he gives us this beautiful picture of a healthy marriage is one where the husband lays down his life for the the life of his wife and how we love and respect one another and how throughout a marriage we are called into this relationship of going together through life not out of what I want first and it's my way or the highway. That is not at all what he's saying. So when he's saying submit, it's out of mutual submission one to another, out of love for Christ. Yes, the husband should be the spiritual head of the home. Don't mistake me at all. But it's not over harsh lordship that we see in the world. It's out of loving servant lordship that says, let's go together toward Jesus Christ. And so when we get that picture of submission, we begin to realize that God taught us submission the most tangible way of all. God became man and made his dwelling among us and walked this world being ridiculed, being persecuted, going to the cross, living a completely different life that no one understood and showing us a different way to be light in the darkness. And what is that way? It's following his example. Your attitude should be that the same of, or should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a ruler. Nope, that is not what it says. The ruler of heaven and earth came to earth and took on the very nature of a servant. 
So when we follow the Lord, we follow his example towards serving a broken world. When we submit to God, we submit to his needs of caring for people in need. God shows his wonderful love of the poor, of the widow, of the alien, of the immigrant, of the least of these, of the sinner that feels hopeless. Who do we see story after story of God chasing? That kind of broken person. When Jesus is Lord of our whole lives, we are drawn to those people not to become like them, but to help them be raised into eternal life with God, where Jesus is Lord of all. And letting them know there is so much more to life. Doesn't our world need that sort of picture of Jesus from us? Doesn't our world need to see a picture of us that says, my life is God's. I'm going to go where he leads. And I'm going to follow him as best I can. And when I make a mistake, I'm going to admit it. And I'm going to invite others to help me walk through that journey. And I'm not going to trust in my own understanding. I'm going to seek him every step of the way. You know, Melissa and I came to a massive life-changing decision uh, just over, a, well, less than a month ago. Three weeks ago, we made uh, the decision official. And I can't tell you, we saw it coming, we felt it was coming, and we argued, we told God, and we negotiated with God that maybe there would be another way, maybe there was another plan, maybe we're not hearing him straight. And I felt at some point, he was just like saying, so you're going to follow me or not? You're going to obey me or not? And that's where we're left with. It is a simple question. Who's Jesus in your life? Is he partially Lord of your life? Or is, are you all his? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. When we're following him, we don't have to look back wondering if we've gone the right way because we know the peace of God in our hearts that we are going exactly where he's led us to. His word confirms it. The people he's put, us around, put around us back it up. And it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's confusing. It can be surprising. I've seen some miraculous things happen in my life where it's just like, God, I never would have envisioned that. It started 17 years ago, right before I got married and graduated Bible college. And I looked at my wife and I said, what if we went into ministry like as a pastor rather than just teaching English? And she said, you know, I was thinking the same thing. Four years later, we moved to Hong Kong with a two-month-old. About 13 years after that, we're moving to America with three kids and a lot of questions. But I wouldn't trade a minute of it because each step of the way, I know that we have followed where the Lord has led. And many of you have those sort of stories of how God has brought you, shaped you, and led you. Tell them. Don't keep them to yourself. Let people know that it's not always easy to follow the Lord, but you don't regret it for one moment. Too often, we want Lord to be Lord of our lives over here, but then over here, we don't. Lord, I want you to be Lord, and I want you to make sure all the kids in AIC grow up to be healthy and happy and successful. But AIC keeps inviting them 
to be true followers of Jesus, and that might not be successful in the eyes of the Lord. So which is it? Is Jesus Lord, or are you going to be Lord of your kids? Which is it? Or God, I'm going to give you all of my life, but let me hang on to my retirement, and I'll figure that out my way. Trust me, I get it. It's a tough thing, and I do not understand the economics of the world. They're changing rapidly, and it can be scary. But if he's Lord of your life, he will guide you. He doesn't say it'll be easy. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But he will let you know the way you should walk in it. We finish with that question. If you have children, because you know kids are the most honest people in your family, and you ask them, guys, and by the way, be ready for an honest answer if you ask this. Regardless of what their age is, kids have a way of speaking into it. Who would you say Jesus is in my life? Well, Dad, you know, sometimes he's this, but other times he's he. Maybe that's a question you've got to ask. Who would your coworkers say Jesus is in your life? Who would the world around us, who would your neighbors say Jesus is in our lives? My prayer is that every moment of every day, we cry out to God and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I will follow you. You don't let your mistakes define you. You give those to the Lord as well. And then you invite people into it. And then you go a step further and you invite other people into your families and into your circles. If you've got kids, you invite other adults into the process. And you invite other people to speak truth into their lives. If you are an adult, you bring other people into your life that can speak into you, even if sometimes they say things you're not sure you're ready to hear. That is living. And that is surrendered to letting God use people to help us show the world he is Lord. Who is Jesus to micros? Well, I know today he's a little more Lord of my life than he was yesterday. And hopefully tomorrow even a little more. And each day I'm going to keep saying, Lord, teach me to trust only in you, not in the ways of man. My prayer is that AIC, no matter where you go next, will be known as the church that followed the Lord God Almighty every step of the way. Let's pray. There is one God and one ruler, and he is the Lord. And we worship you, and we worship you alone, O God Almighty. When we sing about Jesus, our ruler, we do so with great confidence. And so, Lord, I don't say that term lightly and flippantly. Lord, Lord, Lord. No, with surrender, I say you are Lord and we will follow you. Amen. May I ask everyone to please all stand?